Hi everyone, it's such a joy to be with you today on this first Sunday of the Christmas season. The Christmas trees are up, malls are covered in sparkly lights, and the number one recommended playlist on Spotify is Christmas Pop. Christmas is my favorite time of the year, not only because my favorite Starbucks drink is back on the menu, but also because it's that time of the year when so many of us take some time to slow down, gather around a meal with family and friends, take stock of the year that's been, and dream a little for the year to come. But while it's a welcome time of the year for many, for so many others of us, Christmas can be a difficult season. For some of us far away from our loved ones, their distance suddenly becomes distinct. For others, this season is marked by lack or loneliness or longing, a season when what you're waiting for somehow becomes more apparent. Maybe you're waiting for a job offer, for a physical healing, for a loved one to come to know Jesus, for a life partner, a child, a business opportunity, or for a mental illness to resolve. If you're in a season of waiting, I'm so glad you're with us today, because today is the first Sunday of Advent. You might be wondering, what is Advent? Advent means arrival. It's a period beginning four Sundays before Christmas when we count down the days until we get to celebrate the arrival of the baby Jesus at Christmas. It's a season of waiting, of anticipation, a season marked by hope for the Savior that is to come. And as we wait for the arrival of baby Jesus, looking back to that point in history, 2,000 years ago when God became flesh as Jesus and lived among us, we also wait with hope, looking forward to the time when Jesus will one day return, this time not as a baby in a manger, but as a king who will rule with truth and love and justice. It's why each time we take communion together, we pronounce the mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. But in the meantime, we have to admit, waiting isn't very fun, is it? Now imagine with me for a moment. You've been sitting in the waiting room of your doctor's clinic for over an hour, and your patience is running low. How do you respond? Scenario one. You chat with everyone around you, seizing the opportunity to invite them for carols by candlelight services. Scenario two, you scour all the available reading materials, grateful for the chance to catch up on the 1993 Reader's Digest. Scenario three, you tell the other patients you have a very highly contagious and fatal disease in an attempt to empty the waiting room. Scenario four, you're desperate and you force yourself to hyperventilate in front of the nurses so that they let you see the doctor immediately. It's been said that on average, we spend 32 minutes when we visit a doctor, 28 minutes in airport security lines, 21 minutes for a partner or family member to get ready to go out, 13 hours each year waiting on hold for customer service, 50 hours each year waiting in traffic, in other words, we spend approximately six months of our lives waiting in line. No one likes waiting, but it will always be part of our lives. So how do we wait well? Today, I want to talk to you about waiting and what God might want to say to us while we wait. Our passage of scripture is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, the story of Jesus' birth foretold. Luke opens with telling us first about the birth of John the Baptist, that the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, a priest, and he said that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth will have a child. 
It says in verses 12 to 13, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. In verse 18, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. And then, because Zechariah doubted the angel, the angel causes Zechariah to become silent. As promised, Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and she thanks God for showing his favor and taking away her disgrace among the people. And for five months, she then remained in seclusion. And then in the next month, we see the angel Gabriel again. This time, he goes up north to Nazareth, and in verse 27, it tells us he appears to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name is Mary. The angel says to her in verses 30 to 33, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then because Mary wonders how this can happen since she's a virgin, the angel says to her that Elizabeth, her cousin, is also pregnant and in her sixth month, almost as if to say, don't worry, you're in good company. Mary then closes this conversation with these words that have come to define her posture of faith and obedience in what was clearly a life-altering conversation. In verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Wow, so we're just halfway through Luke chapter 1 and we see two women who, although they were related, they couldn't be more different. Mary is young. Elizabeth is said to be in her old age. Mary is yet to be married. Elizabeth has been married for years. Mary is not meant to be pregnant. Elizabeth had been trying for years. And as different as they were from one another, there was one common experience that they both shared, and that is they were both now pregnant. And not only were they pregnant, they had both conceived under very unique circumstances. You see, if there were two things that were shameful for women back in their day, it would be firstly, having a child out of wedlock, and secondly, to get married, live your life, and to never be able to have a child, both of which were their experiences. The first was Mary, and the second, Elizabeth. So on the surface, there is this unimaginable joy that comes with the blessing of a baby, the gift of imminent new birth. And of course, it was a blessing. Both the births of Jesus and John the Baptist were. The birth of Jesus was God's ultimate redemption plan. It's changed the history of the world and has made all the difference for eternity for you and for me. But just as the very wise and erudite Spider-Man once said, with great power comes great responsibility. It's also been said with every blessing comes an extra burden. Mary was young. She was betrothed to Joseph. And Joseph wasn't just any ordinary guy. He was a descendant of David, like kill the giant, 
king of Israel, wrote a lot of the Psalms, David. Like any young woman at the time, this marriage to Joseph was going to determine what the rest of her life would look like. But one encounter with the angel, and she now faces tiny challenge of telling Joseph that she had somehow become pregnant. Mary was about to enter one of the most difficult waiting seasons of her life. So what does Mary do? She goes to see someone who knew how to wait well, her cousin, Elizabeth. So let's continue in Luke chapter 1, reading from verses 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil his promises to her. I wonder what might God be saying to you in your season of waiting? Well, I think the first thing he wants to say to you is that he's with you in your wait. In this passage we just read, we see that the first thing that Mary does upon receiving the news from the angel is that she goes to be with Elizabeth. Verse 39 tells us, She got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months until it was time for Elizabeth to give birth. You see, I think Mary knew that who you are waiting with is just as important as what you are waiting for. I came across this article recently called The Psychology of Waiting Lines. And in this, David Meister explains why waiting is not enjoyable. Here are eight of his reasons. Maybe like number one, you haven't been able to do anything while you wait. Or maybe like in number four, you're waiting with no end in sight. Or maybe like in number six, you're waiting for an injustice to be made right. It's why in theme parks like Disneyland, their staff dress up as Disney characters and they chat with the people waiting in line. Not only do they keep their guests occupied while they wait, their guests also feel that the waiting is more bearable because of who they're waiting with. I wonder if you ever feel like waiting can be really lonely. Elizabeth knew what it was like to wait in private. You know, the fact that she wasn't able to conceive would have caused her disgrace and shame. And I can only imagine what her prayers sounded like. God, have you forgotten me? God, why haven't you answered this prayer of ours? God, are you even listening? I remember praying a prayer like that. My husband Abel and I had been married for a few years at that time and we hadn't been able to conceive. It was one of those private battles that we found quite hard to talk about. Like, how do you bring it up in conversation? It came to the point where my kind mother-in-law would drop really obvious hints. You know, one time she made soup and she gave me an extra generous portion and she said, here, have more of this soup. It's very nutritious for women. On one of these days, as we were waiting for a child, it was a Sunday, right after the 11.30 service here in Lot 10, and I was carrying a big bag with packets of chicken rice for a meeting we were about to have. It was 1 p.m., and you can imagine, it was hot. 
I was sweating. There were lots of people hanging about outside. And all I could think of was, I need to get to the meeting room because there's aircon there. But then all of a sudden, I was stopped in my tracks by an amazing older woman. And she said to me, Jacintha, are you and Abel trying to have children? Now, remember, this was the middle of the day. It was in front of everybody in the lawn at Lot 10. I was not expecting this question. It was such an out-of-the-blue encounter. She could have said, Greetings, do not be afraid. I'm the angel Gabriel. And I would have been just as taken by surprise. Eventually, I said yes, and she offered to pray for me. It turns out that at the end of the 11.30 service, Miles had given a word of knowledge for couples trying to conceive, and this woman immediately thought of us. A few weeks later, we found out we were pregnant. It helped that she has seven children of her own, and we can confirm that conception did not happen in Lot 10. This encounter in our journey of waiting may have led to an answered prayer that we would have a child. But I think more than that, God was reminding us that He was with us in our wait, that He saw our private battle, that He'd heard our silent prayers, and that He surrounded us with a church community that would fight our battles with us. When Mary and Elizabeth got together, they didn't just sit around and chat, as fun as that might be. It says in verse 41, the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth pronounced a blessing over Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil His promises to her. God was using this time with Elizabeth to affirm Mary that He was with her in her waiting. But why is it important to know that God is with us in our waiting? An American writer once said, the oldest and strongest emotion of humankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. And in a sense, that's what waiting can sometimes feel like, can't it? We're in unknown territory, waiting for an unknown future. Fear was clearly evident in this passage. In verse 13, the first thing that the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah was, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. In verse 30, the first thing the angel Gabriel said to Mary was, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. In fact, God knows that as humans, we are so prone to fear that the phrase, Do not be afraid, appears 365 times in scripture. There's one reminder for each day of the year. Mary was feeling afraid. It was a big deal for her to be pregnant out of wedlock in a culture. And in that day, she was very aware of how this would come across. It would bring shame on her, on her family, and her fiancé's family. The best case scenario in that time was that Joseph would have divorced Mary quietly, which Matthew's gospel tells us he was about to do. Matthew 1.19 tells us, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Mary would have had to live the rest of her life having to beg and unable to marry. This is the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is that she would have been stoned to death. 
So while she trusted God wholeheartedly, Mary was bound in a space and time and a culture that didn't understand the promise that God had just given her. Thankfully, the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and can you guess the first thing he said? Yep, he said, do not be afraid. And then he continued, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Both Mary and Joseph obeyed God. But did, it, did this mean they didn't have any fear? I'm pretty sure they continued to have some fear. You see, we often think that fear and faith are opposite. But having faith is not the absence of fear. Great faith can still be accompanied by fear. We can hear the promises of God and yet we can still have fear. We can wait with hope and yet we can still have fear. Which is why one of the first few things that God often says to us is, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You are in good company when you walk in both faith and fear. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for the fulfillment of God's promise of their son Isaac. Joseph waited 13 years, many of those in prison for a crime he didn't commit. The woman with the issue of blood waited 12 years in private agony. So if you're waiting on something today, know that not only are you not alone, but that you're also in good company. God is with you in your wait. But secondly, God is birthing a new thing as you wait. It's been said that behind every success story is a story of great failure. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for a lack of ideas, and he went bankrupt before he eventually built Disneyland. Leo Tolstoy, the author of War and Peace, he dropped out of university, described as both unable and unwilling to learn. Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time, did not make his high school basketball team in his second year of high school. Beethoven's teacher called him hopeless as a composer. And Winston Churchill failed the sixth grade. He did not become prime minister until he was 62. His greatest contributions came when he was considered a senior citizen. You see, the thing about waiting is that God never wastes our weight. He uses that time to birth in us new dreams, new visions, new hopes, to reveal what truly matters in our lives. Before He promotes us, He often prepares us. He builds patience. He shifts our perspective. He chips away at the rough edges of our lives. Did you know that it takes as little as six hours to grow a mushroom, but 60 years to grow a mature oak tree? In your waiting, is God birthing a new thing in your life? Is it a dream He's given you or a promise you're holding on to? Is it that He's calling you to make room for Him in your life? God was literally birthing a new person in both Mary and Elizabeth. And yet making space for Jesus is not often easy. It demands we empty ourselves to make room. 
it means we may need to reevaluate the patterns and commitments in our lives. We may need to sort through the wild busyness of our daily tasks in order to discover what is really necessary, what gives life to us and the people around us, what leads us into God's presence. We may need to follow in Mary's footsteps, to surrender, to rest, and to look forward in anticipation and hope. An old proverb tells the story of a man who dreamed that God told him to push a large rock in his garden. And so the next morning he went outside, he began to push the huge stone. Of course it didn't move. And later that day, he tried it again, no movement. He did that two or three times a day for about two months. He was praying one evening and he said, Lord, I've pushed the rock as you told me, but it hasn't moved. And this is the response he got. I didn't tell you to move the rock, but to simply push it. Now look at your shoulders and arms, how big and strong they are. Look at your hands, your fingers are large and your hands are calloused. You see, my child, I'm getting you ready for something in your future. You're strong enough now to do what I've planned for you. Often, God wants to work in us before He works through us. Why does God sometimes make us wait? To develop our character through our circumstances, to conform us into the image of Christ. You see, what happens to you is far less important than what happens in you. Why? Because what happens to you is temporary, but what happens through you is eternal. So maybe you're waiting on God today for deliverance, for assurance, for a glimmer of hope that your circumstances might change. I want to encourage you. What if the God you're waiting for is waiting for you? He's drawing you close to rely on Him, to know Him more intimately, and to see that the God who is with us in our wait is a God who can turn barrenness into blessing, crucifixions into resurrections, and a hopeless end into an endless hope. In Jesus' name, Amen. I would love to pray for everyone tuning in online. So um, if you'd like to do this, you can. You don't have to, but you can open up your hands like this in a posture that says, Jesus, I'm surrendered and I want to receive from you. So come, Holy Spirit, would you speak to each and every one of us today? I believe that the Spirit is filling you wherever you are tuning in from. And I think He wants to encourage you and assure you that He's with you in your wait. If you are waiting for anything in particular, or if you'd like prayer for anything at all, we'd love to be able to pray with you. You can just scan the QR code and put in a request and someone from the team will pray for you. And as we finish now with this final song of worship, I'll just encourage you to open your heart to receive from the Spirit again. Let's finish now with this final song of worship.